0: Well, I would like to welcome you all on behalf of the uh, uh, Sociology Department at Boazici University. Uh, It's been a while, so let me briefly remind you about the the onset of this talk uh, series. Uh, Sociological Imaginations at Boazici um, is dedicated to exploring contemporary issues with scholars and intellectuals um, whose paths have crossed with the department over the years either as students or lecturers. Um, This dialogue, we believe, opens up new venues to think about the the current issues. And it is through these paths that sociological imaginations show we try to endure these challenging times. So it is in this spirit, the Department of Sociology is hoping to create a medium and space that unites a forum of contemporary public debate with the department's reflections on the past and present of its intellectual depth and diversity, and providing a fresh connection to its lineage. And it is in this spirit that we invited a long-term friend of our department, Martin Stokes. Uh, he, he was a visiting professor in our department in the summer semesters of 1996 and 2006. Um, Martin Stokes is the King Edward Professor of Music at King's, King's College London, Uh, He studied music and social anthropology at Oxford University, where he completed his um, PhD thesis on popular culture and music in Turkey. Uh, His research interests include uh, ethnomusicology of the Middle East, um, uh, Mediterranean and Europe, anthropology of music, Middle Eastern popular music and culture, social and cultural theory. Uh, He's also a great musician. Uh, His books include The Arabesque Debate, Music and Musicians in Modern Turkey, um, The Republic of Love, Cultural Intimacy in Turkish Popular Music, both of them have been translated into Turkish, and most recently, Theory and Practice in the Music of the Islamic World. Uh, He has also taught at Queen's University of Belfast, University of Chicago, and Oxford, and um, is an honorary professor at University of Copenhagen. Personally, it's also a great pleasure and an honor for me to introduce Martin, who's been a wonderful friend over the years, and also a source of inspiration for those of us who did their graduate work in 1990s. It is through his work, and I have to add and mention Meral Özbek in this context as well. It is through his work and her work um, that we started thinking about the, the intricate relationship between music and politics, Muslim Gürses Gülhane Park concerts opened up new ideas about the city. Martin provided us with nuanced analysis of de Özben way before this was popular. <laughs> Listening to and thinking about Zeki Müren has never been the same after reading Martin's work on him. Um, my generation has learned a lot from Martin and I sincerely thank him for that. And we're still looking forward to read and discuss his work um, today. His talk is entitled "The Musical Citizen: Sonorous Bodies and Social Imaginaries." The floor is yours, Martin.
1: Thank you very much, Iphed for that extremely kind invitation, and thank thank you all of you for um, doing me the great honor of um, remembering me um, for this colloquium series and inviting me. To participate uh, as Ifer mentioned um, I spent two very happy summers at Boazich in 1996 and 2006. They were more than just happy occasions for me they were actually um, really quite transformatory moments uh, for me. Uh, it had to do um, with the brilliant students um, the kind of glittering uh, faculty that you have there. Um the interest that I felt in my work and the support that I, I felt uh, for it um, was extremely important. Um, it was an opportunity to think and, and reflect um, and to do um, new things. Indeed, in 2006, um, all of the research that went into the Republic of Love, uh, translated as Ashk Chamburieti, Um, was done, and it was that that started me off uh, on the path of trying to think about connections between music and citizenship um, more broadly. Sixteen years went by very uh, quickly, I don't really know where those, sorry, fifteen years, I don't know where those fifteen years quite went, but like all of us, I expect I was busy with various administrative responsibilities, I was shifting from one country to another, moving jobs, um, family responsibilities and so on and so forth, Um, whatever the reason, 15 years has gone by very quickly. Um, And um, I feel sort of slightly shamefaced that it's taken me so long to turn the rather specific reflections about music and citizenship that I brought up in the Republic of Love, um, into the more general direction that I always wanted uh, to take them in. But the figure of Zeki Muren as the Urnek um, Yurtaş is very much on my mind. And it's an idea that really did uh, occur to me um, all of those summers ago in Bowazichi in 2006. Um, it would be disingenuous and difficult, and I think undesirable um, for me not to um, recognize the the uh, current situation um, at uh, Boazici, um, and um, I hope that my participation in this uh, colloquium series will be taken as my strongest possible expression of affection and respect for your department and my wish that um, things may move forward for you, the faculty, and the students um, in the best and most just way um, possible. As I was saying, as I started off uh, saying to uh, IFER, um, I, I found myself saying, Well, I hope that, that this is all over soon or I hope that there will be an end to this but of course the situation um, is a kind of global situation. I think all of us in academia, all of us academics are facing one or another version um, of um, this um, very um, troubling environment in which we try to think um, and try to teach and try to do our work but um, we shall struggle and let's hope that we prevail. So to turn to my uh, topic, what I'm going to do, um, as I also explained to both uh, Zafet and, and Ifet, um I'm in the middle of writing something at the moment. And so I'm in a more writerly frame of mind than a uh, speaking um, frame of mind. Um, indeed, I'm wrestling with the paragraphs um, on a day-to-day basis at the moment, thanks to a short period of, of leave. And um, so th- this will add a slight element of incoherence to my presentation, but t- to help me, I'm gonna switch to a PowerPoint. I'll talk a little bit to the PowerPoint and then I'll switch if I may be allowed to, to a few pages of the introduction to a book, that's, uh, the book that I'm working on, a book I'm simply calling Music and Citizenship. Uh, so let me see if I can smoothly share my screen with you. Here we go. Mm. And I think that has done it. And um, I will then put on a slideshow and see how we do. Okay a slight uh, um, alternative title, Their Voices, Image and Agent of Citizenship. As it happens, voice is only one of various things that I'll be talking about um, in relation to this question of image and agency. Um, But my starting point is uh, my own provincial corner of the field of anthropology and music study, so-called ethnomusicology, Um, seems to be uh, obsessed with the question of citizenship at the moment. I could pretty swiftly come up with a bibliography of a hundred or so titles of dissertations, books, articles, and chapters with citizenship um, in the title going back about 10 years. This cries out for some kind of explanation to me. Why are ethnomusicologists so driven by the question of citizenship? One answer to this, of course, is the field of renewed critical interest and broader intellectual interest in the question of citizenship that goes back 30 or 40 years, political, sociological, literary, anthropological, as well as legal on the subject of citizenship. Um, we have seen over the last, I would have said 20 years, maybe, the emergence of a fairly well-defined um, anthropology of citizenship inflected by new concerns with uh, sovereignty, uh, um, the the state effect, um, embodiment, and the sensorium. Um, I suspect many of you will be familiar with that, so I won't say very much about it. But ethnomusicologists are in part, I think, responding to this thing called an anthropology of citizenship that seems to have really gathered um, um Kind of weight and momentum um, in recent decades. The other thing I think ethnomusicologists are responding to, interestingly, is musicological ambivalence um, on the topic. I attribute this to too much Foucault and Foucauldian conceptions of power, too much Adorno and all of his hang-ups um, um, about the, the Viennese tradition and the popular music um, on the other hand. So too much uh, Foucault, too much Adorno, and not enough interest in the state, in questions of cultural policy, and so on and so forth. It slightly reflects the center of gravity for musicological thinking being in America um, at the moment rather than in Europe, um, I think. Whatever its reasons, there's a musicological ambivalence about the question of citizenship, um, which just makes it a bit of a sort of an intellectual... It's made of it a bit of an intellectual non-event over the last um, over the last couple of decades. This is all um, to summarise um, something that, if I had much more time, I would have spent much more time uh, detailing and, and explaining. But hopefully, it just gets us to where I want to in the argument, which is a focus not so much on these. Ferocious abstractions here, music and citizenship, enormous abstractions relating to completely different areas of social and cultural life, if you will. But to something that I think is more sensible and manageable and methodologically uh, containable, which is an attempt to understand acts of naming musicians as citizens. Um, the difficulties that musicologists have uh, lies with uh, the Beethoven complex, and if you will, this is the most basic lesson that anybody who is brought up in the Western musicological uh, and musical uh, traditions learns uh, early on is Beethoven as humanist, as artistic genius responding to French revolutionary citizenship um, ideals, particularly in his Eroica symphony. And the figure of Beethoven as ideal citizen, as Ernek uh, urtache, as it were, um, is extremely conflicted, is extremely complex. And semiotically, it has become extremely unstable In this 250th anniversary of his birth, we constantly hear that Beethoven was a model citizen, but he was a model citizen of what? Of a Germany that didn't exist, of a Europe that didn't exist, of a quote-unquote world that didn't exist. So the citizenship uh, narrative as regarding this kind of mythic uh, figure of Beethoven has become extremely uh, unstable, semiotically unstable, and no better um, illustration of that than this um, sculpture of multiple Beethoven's which have been made for his native city of Bonn and scattered all over the city. The moment you start to have outsized or multiplied um, uh, iconic images that you know that something is going weird and is going wrong. Um, A more interesting study um, of uh, revolutionary citizenship and the difficulties that musicologists and musicians at the music establishment has in getting their heads around it. it has to do with the figure of Luigi Cherubini, um, an Italian composer, who Riccardo Mutti, an Italian conductor, very much um, in hock uh, with the populist um, um, government in, in Italy, has been making a big play of repatriating and reclaiming quote-unquote Italian artistic heritage and particularly the citizenly figures of its composers. Cherubini is interesting because although he was Italian, he spent his life in revolutionary France. He actually became, um, taking advantage advantage of France's revolutionary citizenship laws, um, one of the very first non-French people to get French citizenship, he was highly indebted to France and he expressed absolutely no interest whatsoever in Italy or returning to Italy and least of all of his body being returned to Italy after he died. So here's another interesting thing, how kind of cultural citizenship gets configured um, around the figure of, 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 of dead composer citizens. Um, and the repatriation of their remains. Now, the interesting thing about Cherubini is that the whole story is a kind of failure. Riccardo Muti's campaign to have Cherubini uh, reinterred from Paris to Florence, which was his, his the city of his birth, failed. It didn't go anywhere. And this signifies to me, or well, this says something to me, um, about, uh, something more about the difficulty that, uh, musicians uh, musicologists of the music establishment have in, as it were, making this this um, this th- this linkage kind of stick and and, and work um, as music and citizen. Let me switch uh, to another point of uh, reflection here, which is um, exemplifies rather what I mean when I'm talking about um, shifting the focus, from these two abstractions onto rather more specific acts of naming or claiming musicians as citizens. And this relates to um, an event that I was um, involved in. It took place in 2015. I was invited to participate in a conference at the very last moment in uh, Royaumont in Paris. Um, I rather suspect that somebody had dropped out and I had been invited at the very last minute. So I was going to say no to this invitation, but then I looked at the program and I saw a music performance, which was going to be discussed involving an old friend of mine. That old friend is Amir Asafar, who is a uh, American born trumpeter of um, Iraqi uh, background and heritage. Uh, He was a distinguished, he is a distinguished jazz, Trumpeter. In fact, that was how I first came to know him when I was living in Chicago. Um, he was also a conservatory trained musician. And at the time that I knew him, he was a young um, uh, recruit to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. So a very, very, very distinguished, high powered, talented Chicago musician, who at the time of the American um, and allied um, invasion of Iraq, Um, became possessed of a desire to rediscover his Iraqi musical heritage, which he did by listening to his father's record collection. His father was a great connoisseur of the Iraqi maqam tradition, which is to say its classical music uh, tradition, which was heavily repressed by Saddam Hussein. Um, So when I saw his name, when I saw that he was participating in this event, I thought I must go to this. So I swallowed my misgivings um, about this last minute invitation and my rusty French concocted a paper as one does, jumped on Eurostar and later that day I was in Paris. So the, the, um, what this uh, performance was, was a heavily curated transcultural art experiment under the tutelage of an ethnomusicologist called Frederic Leval. Frédéric Leval insisted on this word transcultural art uh, to talk about um, art um, as a kind of connecting um, process. He didn't like interculturalism um, and and various other terms for this reason. Frédéric Leval himself had sadly just died before this particular performance, so I didn't have a chance to talk to him um, about it, but it was his heavily curated very public aspect um, that fascinated me. The musicians, mainly um, people uh, who uh, mainly Arabic speakers, people from across the Arab world with French connections, uh, had been invited to uh, participate in this. Um, uh, as well as Amir Asafar, also Mark Namur, who is um, a Arabic language and a French language, uh, slam poet and rapper. Frédéric Laval was very interested in the idea of rap and uh, and of rapping um, as a kind of transcultural art. His view was that everybody had across the world a tradition of rhythmicized utterance, of rhythmicized words. Um, So this was very much um, part um, of his uh, way of understanding things and a way of connecting things. So what I want to uh, stress here, first of all, is this heavily curated, very public and extremely circular process of constructing an event around the figure of citizenship and artistic citizenship and transcultural citizenship. Okay, so it's, it's structured around these ideas. The ethnomusicologists involved are actually setting up this whole kind of artistic experiment. They're then bringing other ethnomusicologists um, to um, observe the whole process and comment on this process as kind of as kind of critics. So you have this kind of immensely uh, circular um, kind of public thing, in which citizenship is being um, imputed, it's being projected, and it's being as it were reflected back. The other thing that struck me about this moment 2016 uh, 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 sorry sixteen. Um, was the, that it occurred um, in France during a moment um, of an extremely, attenuated, um, an extremely attenuated sense of crisis in the French cities and across French urban space uh, around the figure of Islam and Arabs in particular, and that this was in the immediate aftermath of the Bataclan massacre of 2016, and during which massacre, incidentally, um, a young but already distinguished French ethnomusicology was sadly uh, tragically killed. Here is uh, a comment by one of these ethnomusicologists which uh, illuminates um, what so interested me, and rather set me off on this line of thought, and he said in an article um, about this event, once the 99ers united in Avignon, sorry I should also just have said that this involves very high prestige, high art, um, uh, venues um, in France, uh, such as the Avignon Festival and uh, Royaumont itself. So, once the 99 is united in Avignon, after having declined, quote unquote, the complexity of a multiple identity, Marc Namur invites the public to join the 99 without going through any border, without the need for papers, without needing to adopt any of the romantically already overused definitions of citizens of the world. As writer, by the way, Martinican, uh, writer Patrick Chamoiseau puts it, true citizenship in the world is multi-citizenship in multiple places, and 99, now part of this multiplicity speaks to us of that. Please notice in this uh, sentence, my translation from French I should add, um, but please notice in, in this quotation the expression true citizenship here. Um, in my book, whenever anybody talks about true anything, uh, re- relating to uh, a, a political or a social scientific uh, concept, um, you know you've got problems. Mm. Let me move on. Here are some pictures. I'll just quickly show you some pictures to give you a flavor of the event. Amir Safar with his American jazz group, the Two Rivers Ensemble at the top and working with an Iraqi Makan, um artist at the bottom. Um, French-Arab culture is very much connected with um, Beirut and uh, Lebanese um, academics who move between the two spaces and Marc Namour himself is an immigrant to France from uh, Beirut. And here is Royaumont, a gorgeous Gothic uh, ruined monastery out in the suburbs of Paris Gothic splendor. Gothic splendor, um, but also a state of the art performance venue for French new music. Now, what I want to do is just for a few seconds, if you'll allow me, is to show you
2: a. Um I'm son lit d'accouchement de fortune n'emmenait pas large. Ce n'était pas la douleur d'un accouchement sans péridurale qui l'effrayait. Ce n'était pas le fameux délicat passage du col qui l'a pétanisé. Ma mère souffrait d'une autre peur. Elle avait peur que le générateur d'électricité tombe en panne. Peur que la sage-femme au bout de la cinquième nuit sans sommeil ne soit pas assez vigilante. Peur que les murs du sous-sol de l'hôpital ne tiennent pas sous la pression constante des bombardements. Que les miliciens fassent éruption plein travail pour purifier la zone comme ils savent si bien faire, car le quartier à cette époque avait perdu toute trace d'humanité. Les hommes n'étaient plus des hommes, ils avaient des têtes de bêtes, des têtes de bêtes brutes, la rage aux lèvres et la fièvre au front, des têtes de spectres mal Et voilà qui nous ramène dans un pays des feuilles de larmes, un pays au bord d'un éclatement sanguinaire en quête d'une paix qui se dérobe et se méconnaît. Un pays qui a fait parler de lui de la plus horrible de ma I'll
1: make that pause there just for uh, reasons of time and press on um, sorry excuse me
3: Here we go.
1: So that gives you an idea of of what it uh, sounded like and the kind of uh, rapping, slam poetry, um, rather loose improvisational uh, structure um, of things. I could say more about what Mark Lamour means by 99, which is a kind of figure both of multitude um, and a figure of objection. So part of this whole kind of rap slam poetry performance is is about 99 as the kind of the immigrant nation, um, if you will. Uh, He tends also to rap, as you hear there, autobiographically. So he's talking about his life as somebody who moved at a young age from Lebanon to uh, the Jura um, in a small industrial town in the Jura in France and and there and from there uh, to Paris. So the the wrapping has a kind of autobiographical uh, sort of content to it. So um, taking such acts of uh, forging Um, a link between music and citizenship, such acts of naming, as it were, particular musicians or particular musical practices as somehow inherently uh, citizenly or as representing some kind of ideal or, as Pallati puts it, true citizenship. Something's going on here, I feel, something that is precarious, fraught and compensatory. It goes without saying that Uh, as a political category citizenship is an extremely fraught category at the moment and these acts of making a collection are extremely fraught but they're there uh, nonetheless sorry i'm just uh, getting another screen up um And my hope is that I might um, end up having something to say uh, about both uh, by bringing them together in this way, that's the project of the book. Um, And I hope also to have in particular identified some of the rather particular ways in which music has been involved in these uh, debates about citizenship. Sound and listening I would want to suggest um, are not just one sense among many in what Turnke et al. call a sensory citizenship but you know, what, what, one of the things that I want to try and do here is to su- suggest that sound and listening might be particularly important to this whole uh, discussion um, of what Turnke et al. are calling sensory uh, citizenship. Okay, what I'll do now, I just want to read a, a few paragraphs um, of this uh, introduction. Uh, the moment that I feel um, that I'm, my voice is becoming. Uh, tiresome uh, or that I'm boring uh, you or myself I, uh, I will just stop but I'm assuming I feel that it's okay if I just talk for another 20 minutes uh, or so and then hand over for questions is that okay good so um, I, again excuse me whilst I, I just switched to something I was writing um, literally this morning so uh, the the the, the um, shift towards uh, the question of what it is that music, sound and listening particularly brings to questions and debates about citizenship. Citizenship has been anticipated in some well-developed lines of thinking in what people now refer to as sound studies focused on orality, voice and mediation. These lines of thinking, orality, voice and mediation have been productively concerned with the ways in which sound has made or shaped political community. I will get to a discussion of these terms and what they have to offer shortly. But the preliminary point in the light of the preceding discussion is that a focus on sound and hearing and on music itself might have something rather specific to offer to the study of citizenship. We might resist the thought one prompted by anthropologists sensory turn, that uh, sound and hearing might be regarded as just one sensory formation with regard to the study of citizenship amongst others. For historical and institutional reasons, I would want to argue that it might be a rather particular and important sense affording some rather particular and important insights. Okay, I want to just resist the temptation here to kind of explain music and sound away, to reduce it to its context, to, you know, to sort of lose its specificity. In the late 18th century, in late 18th century Europe, the terms music and citizenship assumed distinctly modern meanings more or less simultaneously. Music had come to mean an abstract aesthetics of feeling and sound realized wordlessly in symphony, sonata, concerto. Citizenship, meanwhile, had come to mean membership of political community defined by nation-state, realized in liberty, equality, and fraternity. Jacques Ranciere describes this conjunction in terms of the late, late 18th century's decisive redistribution of the senses, as he puts it, henceforth indissolubly linking the arts and revolution. Music and hearing along with it was to assume particular significance in this redistribution. In part, this was because of the generally heightened sense of value accorded to it and to those who made it and to the act of listening to it in purpose-built spaces. In part, it was because of the specific importance, because of the specific importance that music assumed in the context of broader discussions about language in 18th century theorizations of political community. The attentive assembly gathered for the purposes of listening in a resonant space had after all, long been a vital image of citizenship. For Rousseau in particular, the links between audibility, language and political society were paramount. A well-known passage in the Essay sur l'Origine des Langues suggested that democracy extended only as far as the last person in the crowd capable of hearing the speaker. Rousseau understood the problem here as primarily one of language and the difficulties language created for speakers. It troubled him that the French language deployed in public oration scarcely seemed capable of traveling to the back of the room, let alone filling the Place de de Vendôme, a large space space indeed. The recitations of Herodotus in classical Greece, by contrast, were easily heard in the public square, Rousseau says, and the air, he continues, resounded to applause. Rousseau observes every tongue In which one cannot be heard by the assembled people, he said, is a servile language, implying for Rousseau the problem with French. He said, it is impossible for people to remain free and speak that language, end quote. But his contemporaries were thinking more broadly in terms of audibility. And listeners, so not just speakers and the agency of speakers, they were thinking about listening and the agencies of listeners um, during, at, at around about the time of the French Revolution. Theories of the listening ear were changing at this time. Medieval notions of resonance, whereby listening was imagined as an act of inner vibration proportionate to the vibrations without was being replaced by a conception of listening in the circulation of nerve liquid, sentiment, and tears. In such a conception, listening required knowledge of quote-unquote codes and quote-unquote mechanisms. These are 18th century terms here through which music was believed to operate on the listener. A particular melody like the Swiss folk song Rons des Vaches that Rousseau supposedly encountered in the Haute Savoie. A particular particular melody might move some people to tears, but not other people. So Rousseau heard people singing this song and being moved to extremes of melancholy and sadness. But he himself wasn't somehow affected by this. And he he, he wanted to know why. Because if you understand feeling to be transmitted by sympathetic vibration, of course, you, you must feel the same thing but 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 Rousseau noticed that he wasn't feeling the same thing and and he needed to understand as it were, what was going on here. Audition as Rousseau and others came to understand was a matter of understanding the intricate habits and customs that connected sound and sentiment, not merely of vibrating sympathetically. Political, community, people came to understand, depended on an assembly of such active and informed listeners who would thereby be able to give credence to vital public narratives and political oration. So one thing that around about the time of the French Revolution people were beginning to uh, understand is that, that, that listening, that audition was a kind of agency. It wasn't just a passive matter of Kind of vibrating. The listener needed to be educated to bring something to the act of listening. The, the listener had responsibilities, as it were, political responsibilities. So, so one question here is, is a question about the agency of the listener, which, which was developing at this very important moment. Another thing that was happening at this moment was um, an emphasis on what we might call filtering. Okay, so it's not just A question of sound and amplifying sound but of filtering that sound so that only the important sound gets through and the less important sound doesn't. So the removal of pre-publication censorship in 1789 meant raised voices and the clamour for attention at the time of the Revolution. French revolutionary assemblies were evidently a cacophony. As Marat and others quickly realised, One could not dispense with basic rules and procedures to ensure that voices raised at these assemblies were also voices heard. Architectural and technological solutions like megaphones and raised platforms were proposed at the time of the revolution. Revolutionaries and counter-revolutionaries alike cancelled in time a return to common sense, le bon sens in which the ear was beginning to be imagined, people were starting to imagine the the ear, not just as an organ for letting sound in, but for keeping quite a lot of it out. A regime of censorship was reimposed, I might remind you, in 1792. As a result of wavering revolutionary thinking about the relationship between what was said and what was heard and how it might be regulated, an ideal of citizenship as communicability of citizens not only having their own voice but also being listened to was to emerge in the late 18th century if sorry if the late 18th century revolutions gave birth to the ideal of the communicative citizen able to both speak and listen music played an important role from the outset in forging that ideal, during the nineteenth and early twentieth centuries, the institutions developing around music deepened these expectations. But as they deepened, so too did the anxieties. These anxieties were primarily focused on the audience. Just get another slide here. Um, yeah, these anxieties were primarily focused on audiences. In the middle of the nineteenth century, they were, after all hardly models of civility, these audiences. Indeed, in the United States of America, as Richard, sociologist Richard Bush discusses in his book, The Citizen Audience, Crowds, Publics and Individuals, published in 2008, they were notoriously rowdy and politically partisan. In Jackson's America, there was admiration for these vigorous, masculine and unruly democratic energies. The Astor Place Opera House riot of 1849, in which 22 people were killed and over 100 wounded, changed the public mood, however. Sections of the American middle classes, already arguing for a progressive and respectable citizenship in opposition to Jackson, who was the kind of Trump of his time, saw a new and chastened role for the performing arts in propagating civic responsibility. In Europe, meanwhile, um, as many have discussed, Other crises of public and political competence would elicit comparable ideas of the public utility of the arts. Audiences, in short, would require rescuing from the crowd and this would require public guidance, education and discipline. Across the Euro-American world, the institutions of public entertainment were changing alongside ideas about how sound circulated in public space. The story has been told by many. Opera houses and concert halls would increasingly be designed with orderly, seated, contemplative listening in mind. The new arts of what Kaviki, uh, Stephen Kavicki calls, audiencing um, would uh, be born. The arts, that is to say, of listening silently, listening alone in the crowd. Acoustics would later develop as a science or quasi-science to support the new architectures of entertainment, architectures designed to permit audibility in ever-growing spaces of resonance. Materials and technologies would then be developed to contain and direct resonance, noise reconceived as matter to be disciplined and regulated. The struggle over the citizen audience was then, in part, an effort to rescue it from the crowd in part an effort to rescue it from noise. Early in the 20th century questions about media and mediation, let me see, media and mediation, radio, cinema and sound recording in particular began to predominate. On the one hand these new media might allow sounds to circulate democratically around the nation state. In America they were imagined rather Implicitly to have a powerful capacity for turning immigrants into new citizens. On the other, they might render the mass media audience passive, silent and uncommunicative, and thereby vulnerable to advertisers, i.e. commercial interests, or to enemy propaganda. With regard to the arts, the fear of the crowd was quickly replaced by a fear of the mass. The challenge of the citizen audience, as Richard Bush shows for American, social theorists of the 1930s, would increasingly be configured as a negotiation between the two. On the one hand lay the crowd making too much noise. On the other hand, the mass too little. The ideal audience somewhere in the middle was imagined as public, orderly, rational, informed and unified above all in discussion. Earlier in our current century, the internet and social media were in some regards to change the landscape significantly. From the outset, their capacity to distract or silence or absorb people in pointless activity figured in concepts such as interpassivity, clicktivism and so forth, has been portrayed as a challenge to democratic participation, a threat indeed to democratic participation. The social media revolutions across the world around 2010, to be which I discuss um, in one of my other chapters, looked momentarily as though they might change the terms of this discussion. Donald Trump's Twitter presidency, however, firmly reinscribed them. New media has then made the anxieties associated with the old media recede into a haze of nostalgia. It is radio, cinema, and even television's powerful capacities in the production of citizens that now seems to strike the sociological imagination. They had once seemed so alarming. But the fundamental anxieties concerning each generation of new media especially as they concern citizenship, seem to, seems to have remained remarkably steady. The linkage between music and citizenship, two enormous abstractions, has then required repetitive institutional and intellectual labor, labor beset, I would suggest, by anxiety. These anxieties have, to summarize, been driven by fear of the crowd, i.e. unruly collectivities impinging on the individual subject and on the public, And fear of noise, i.e. unruly communication impinging on political deliberation. But they've been contained by institutions, pedagogies, and architectures developed in Europe and America to enhance the public utility of art and music. Mass media sowed new anxieties throughout the course of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st. The older institutions, pedagogies, architectures, and value systems concerning art and music would meanwhile be subject to radical question on this extremely unstable terrain the work of the critic in forging and maintaining the link between music and citizenship would come to assume enormous importance now i've i feel i am running out of voice and running out of claims on your goodwill and attention so rather than carry on reading. Um, I'll just click through what remains of my slides, just so you can see where this argument is going. And then I'll hand over to you for any observations or criticisms or um, uh, uh, discussion, wherever you would like to take it. But on the subject of criticism, again, the 1930s are crucial. And we see the emergence, particularly in America, of a kind of criticism, particularly focused on jazz, which is all about how the great American American art form, i.e. jazz, can produce the great American um, citizen. And the links between jazz, democratic participation and citizenship were a very explicit um, theme in the work of an extremely interesting critic, he called himself a critic and not a a theorist, Uh, this man Kenneth Burke in the 1930s, up to about the time and and shortly after the Second World War, as I remember. Um, is I think um important and I think he serves to emphasize rather well how the, the kind of public intellectuals critical labors that were required to to kind of reinforce these links between music and citizenship to conclude and and I was going to talk through this but I think I've said plenty if not uh, too much um already. I think there are three areas of sound studies which I think um, strengthen uh, my discussion and what I'm trying to say here. And um, because I'm talking to a sociology department, um, um, I felt I might submit for your um, attention some interesting work um, that's going on in musicology and sound studies. Um, that I think connects with these questions about political participation and democratic uh, participation. One is a concept of orality, um, the the fields, the the kind of cultural fields of of, of listening that we construct, um, allowing for very radical possibilities um, for understanding who makes noise, uh, who makes sound, uh, what sound is, who listens and how they listen. Um, I would associate particular Anna Maria Ochoa Gautier's uh, work with this, uh, an important figure. Uh, J- Jerome Kamal, um, a young French ethnomusicologist. Uh, Jairo Moreno, a distinguished um, Portuguese. If I've got that right, um, anthropologist. A second area is 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 voice, um, v- vocal studies, and the question of voice. It does seem to me makes for makes for very strong. Um, Uh, a very strongly connected mode of inquiry um, concerning sound on the one hand and political participation on the other, voice of course being about political uh, representation and and, and actuation um, just as much as it is um, um, talking and singing. Um, The work of Gary Tomlinson and Michael Denning which has tried to push questions about voice in the direction of song um, to make this a little bit more culturally specific is of interest and significance to me. The problem with voice and voice studies is that they seem to, they're rather airy, they, 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 they live in a world of, of kind of philosophical abstractions. Whereas what I like about Gary Thomas and Michael Denning's insistence that we talk about song is that it brings us to particular historical and social and ethnographic um, instantiations. Um, And finally, in this little trio, um, the question of mediation, um, of which, uh, of of course, you know, we'll all know plenty, but it is interesting actually to see how musicology and sound studies are processing Latourian actor network theory here to um, find new ways of thinking about the relationship between the, um, the musical, the social and the political. These three areas of more recent thinking more cutting-edge thinking in my own particular field, orality, voice, and mediation, do I think um, add weight to this particular um, inquiry. So to summarize, um, music and citizenship, two abstract and rather frail and beleaguered concepts. Um, What interests me are these kind of rather repetitive, anxious, and unstable efforts to to link them. I wanna argue as well that there is um, something um, about music that connects to this question of citizenship for historical reasons in rather important ways, and that can frame thereby a critical line of inquiry um, into contemporary uh, citizenship formations um, as a consequence. I thank you very much for uh, listening to me and um, should apologize as well for, the, for for reading bits here and bits there and trying to sort of sum up large parts of the discussion even as I'm trying to focus in on some rather specific uh, aspects of it. The focus here has been a little bit um, historical um, but I hope that that gives you a bit of an idea of what I've been up to um, over the last year or so um, and also for those of you um, who uh, know anything about my um, work on um, Turkish music and um, Seke Muren and the Seke Muren as the ideal citizen um, that I explored in um, the Republic of Love. Um, hopefully that some of those connections um, and developments of the th- thought there will be um, somewhat clear as well. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you, Martin. Um... Martin do you mind stopping sh- the, the sharing share so no. that I can yeah, yeah. yeah. there we go yeah. uh I'm going to give the floor to questions but I I actually want to propose a question because I'm I'm a bit curious about this Mark Namur case uh could you could you elaborate on him a little bit more um uh,
1: yeah yeah so, so he's um, he left Lebanon during the, at the end of the civil war. So he's a child of the 19, late 1970s, 1980s. Uh, His family settled first in Saudi Arabia um, and then in the Jura, in a small provincial, I think a watchmaking town in, in um, provincial France. And from there he moved to Paris. He's been closely associated with the scene of, in in England, we would call it kind of immigrant rap scenes, um, uh, kind of connecting um, around the kind of images and ideologies of blackness um, associated with with rap. But ever the poet um, and the lines in France between rap and hip hop culture and and the art of the slameur or the uh, the slam poet, um, you know, these are two things that kind of blur into one another. In, um, in Paris. Um, so th- he's a member of various uh, artistic uh, uh, th- collectives um, th- that met and that interact and cooperate there. His big break was the Avignon Festival. If you were kind of signed up for the Avignon Festival, this brings you to the public eye and to these kinds of rather well-funded kind of cultural projects um, very uh, smoothly, is my understanding. Um, what else was I going to say about?
0: um no, but where, where do where do you situate him given your discussion on music and citizenship?
1: Well, okay, so so um, from the outset that he he is being con- configured as a as a as a as, as a well to use uh, Luigi Parletti's term, who was one of the collective of ethnomusicologists who was both setting this up and both and commenting on it the, the, as an exemplar of quote unquote true citizenship, right? Okay. So, so, you know, he doesn't really play any part in this at all. there's an an extent to which he's a kind of a blank screen onto which these, if you want kind of critical and academic concerns and anxieties are being projected, if that makes a certain kind of a sense, but he's not altogether passive. I mean, you know, the whole 99 project, which is about immigration, it's about representation it's about the immigrant public it's about the question of citizenship it's about the question of id cards in paris i mean it's it's all it's a very highly politicized discourse that he's got he's, he's it seems to me is quite conscious of the ways in which his art actually connects with these citizenship fantasies that are being projected onto it that that, that, that that's that that's that's how i'm um, That's what I'm seeing going on here.
0: Okay, we can take questions. I mean, I I have some other questions, but I don't want to dominate the question part. Um, I'm looking at the participants. Any questions, comments? Uh, Malta?
3: Okay, hi. Uh, It's very nice to see you again, Martin. Thank you very much for this very rich presentation. I have um, two questions. One is a question, the other, I'm not sure if it's a question or something that comes to my mind. Uh, the first question is about this, the gendering of this, uh, the whole discussion, because like, as we all know, citizenship is a gendered concept, but not only that, I mean, voice is also is very much gendered, uh, like thinkers like Ann Carson or Adriana Caverero. feminist thinkers have been writing on how the female voice has been expelled from the public sphere, from the dem- democratic participation and all that. And so my question is about what do you, what would you like to say that in, within the scope of your project? And the second thing is that comes to my mind is when you started with Beethoven, that uh, the protests in Lebanon, in Beirut uh, in 2019, how the protesters were singing Ode to Joy in Arabic. And um, I mean, what does this tell us about the traveling of the figures of the musicians or their work into other contexts as a form of, I don't know as a form of citizenship. So
1: yeah, thank you. Uh, um, th- no, uh, th- that's I uh, very much I appreciate both questions. Um concerning gender, uh, g- gender is the kind of permanent um provocation, I think, in these in these uh, conversations. Um and with each um Kind of either critical or scholarly um, or popular turn in the kind of sort of utopianism associated with this this idea of citizenship which is no longer about merely about a legal category of, of belonging in the nation state it's it's now about it's, it's now about political community conceived in a much more expansive terms and rather utopian terms So with each with each turn of this kind of utopian rhetoric, I think the question of gender um, is freshly problematized, as it were. So with 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 each with each um, claim uh, for um, projected on. A particular culture of, of, of citizenship, or a particular imagined scene of "quote unquote" ideal citizenship, or "quote unquote" true citizenship, um, it is striking to me how quickly the question of gender is firstly forgotten and secondly anxiously reinscribed. Okay, so here is an example of this: the the, the scene of true citizen "quote unquote" true citizenship with which I started of Mark Namur and and his uh, his rapping and his slam poetry and this um, kind of um, arab world um uh, arabo franco um, musical collaboration uh, has no women it is all boys on the stage right you know w- women just have just sort of disappeared from that scene and it takes conversation and questions afterwards you know what does it mean that there were no women on stage 2 as it were for, for the for the people involved in these scenes to go oh yes you're right hang on a moment you know th- th- something something has happened there we didn't intend it to happen but it is happened but it did happen and we need to think about it so the question of gender you, you know what strikes me about these kind of a sort of phantasmatic appearance the phantasmatic projections of citizenship that I'm witnessing at the moment is a how quickly gender gets, gender questions get forgotten about, and b how anxiously they, they then, as a kind of subsequent movement, get get reinscribed. That's the way that I think about it. Um, Beethoven's Ode to Joy um, is of course everywhere, with it becoming the European Union's official. Um, uh, national anthem, um, it becomes kind of trademarked, I suppose you could say, in a very particular uh, sort of a way, as not just citizenship, but European citizenship and Europe's, Enlightenment Europe's gift uh, uh, to the world. Um, wherever Enlighten- the heritage of Enlightenment Europe plays a part in global um, um, debates about political participation, Um, and about the role of the arts um, um, in in that particular political heritage. The figure of Beethoven or the sound of the Ode to Joy will swiftly be um, um, pushed into public view or into public audibility in some way or another. So we have global Beethoven, uh, Beethoven um, as um, a kind of icon um, of um, what is still Fantasized about and desired of the European Enlightenment in terms of its political heritage, which, in a context like Lebanon, is seen by many social actors in that situation as being um, in crisis or lacking or have completely fragmented. So the question of, of global Beethoven is uh, is 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 a um, is perennially uh, interesting. Actually, yeah. Thanks for your questions.
3: I'm trying to
0: unmute. Thank you very much, Martin. I mean, it's it's very thought-provoking and it can, I mean, what you've said has sort of triggered so many different kind of questions in my mind. Um, One of the things that I thought about, I mean, you know that um, what happens when you're in the situation of contested citizenship, and there are claims to citizenship through music which are regarded as, um, I mean, I'm thinking of Kurdish Dengbej, as you can imagine. Uh, I'm thinking of Marlene Schaefer's work. Um, and uh, I kept thinking you know, whether or not um, there are also ways of de-citizenizing I mean,
1: if I can use that. Term. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've I've uh, um, de-citizenizing, de-citizenizing. Well, First of all, the debates and, and disputes over over citizenship. I think our very own Zeki Muren, I think, would be might be considered as one example of that. I mean, the ideal citizen for some, but definitely not an ideal citizen for others. I think the case of Marc Namur is I think very provocative um, in this regard because um, France is paralyzed by its citizenship debates at the moment and the question of, of where I mean it's not of course not even a question about where Islam is in this it can have no place in the French definition of the public sphere or citizenship within it um, but therefore the question of Arabs Um, many of whom of course might be christian arabs and not muslim arabs Um, the the presence of the arabic language etc etc and for for this particular event at Royaumont um, this display of quote unquote true citizenship to have taken place in such proximity to the Bataclan massacre is made for a very heavy event I, i i mean i was there i remember it well and it Felt very very heavy indeed. Now, of course, nobody was protesting. You know, no one was standing up and and in the in the in the great French fashion. You know, booing <laughs> of what was going on on the stage. But nonetheless, I was intensely aware uh, of the fact that this was a tense, uh, um, very conflicted occasion, um, which was really kind of pushing buttons. So, you know, what, what happens with Music is, um, as a the particular kind of institutional and social practice, it is that um, it's able to, I think, both absorb these conflicts, and it's both it's also able to provide a kind of focal point for them. Things happen around music even if it's quote-unquote only conversation and discussion you know I mean these things they don't just reflect something they make something happen they set certain things in motion so that would be the way you know that's one of the ways in which I think I would want to think about the question of conflict and conflict is ever present in these scenes I mean these scenes are made of conflict um, I think I would want to say Um, the second part of your question yeah I'm not writing these questions down and I'm going to come back to you um, with an email on this because I think that's it, it suddenly struck me as being um, a, an important one and um, there's a great book written by a friend of mine a, a Ukrainian friend of mine called Maria Sonovitsky and it's called wild music and she's looking at various figures who are kind of wilding um, Ukrainian popular music with the with the particular figure of Ruslana who some of you might remember as the Eurovision Song Contest winner, um, you know, a good while ago. You remember her sort of dressed in furs and, you know, singing these kind of primitive songs. So she's fascinated by exactly that question. I mean, for her, these figures kind of get brought back into citizenship debates or debates about sovereignty in, in other ways. You know, they're not, their wildness says something about a Ukraine that activists, and particularly eco-activists, kind of want to imagine. So they have their own citizenship discourse, discourses that they want to kind of attach to this figure. But I think that would be a nice example of people, as it were, using music to kind of step outside the, the realm of, of the, the, to step outside the kind of regime of civility, or, or the regime of kind of sort of politeness, I suppose, that that goes with this idea of citizenship. Um, and, yeah, I, I, thank you for that question because that sparks some useful ideas uh, for me as well. But it's Maria Sonovitsky, uh, whose whose work I would love to recommend uh, to you all. It's called Wild Music. Thanks, Nuket.
0: Hi Gun.
4: Uh, uh, thank you for the thank you for the very very stimulating talk. I have also it prompted lots of music films many things in my mind that i'm not sure actually if i have a question but perhaps you know some comments or some of the things that come to my mind and uh, right now i'm teaching political anthropology in our department and this is exactly like one of the themes that we are talking about the you know the voice and the sound in the making of the body politic the modern body politic its boundaries and so on and so forth Perhaps you are uh, familiar with that, and uh, um, actually, a few Polish films that I have in mind—they are, you know, not the obsession with Chopin, as the uh, ultimate Polish, you know, figure uh, of, you know, expressing belonging to the Europe. This great idea of Europe is so much mediated by Chopin and Chopin and Chopin. This is the great, you know, export, uh, and very very proudly, it's everywhere. Chopin festivals and and things like that, but from the, as it were, or the margins of Europe, right? There's a different kind of projection there at the same time of uh, claiming the heart of Europe from the margins. And uh, uh, for instance, like the, I have in mind the uh, Kieślowski's film uh, from the trilogy, Blue, it's, uh, you know, Juliette Binoche is the, is, the, is, is the widow of the composer. She discovers that unfinished actually uh, music then becomes the you know the music of European unification. It's a Cold War, post-Cold War drama, actually, of unification, and its sort of hopes, promises, but also disappointments are all described in this very also intimate story of of this discovery and then you know uh, coming to terms with the past uh, through death actually, and then uh, try to finish inheriting. That, that, that music, I think, is a powerful way, perhaps, to talk about you know, all the geopolitical shifts that happens. And the, you know, if you like, you know, citizenship, transnational citizenship. Uh, but you know, it is in Kieślowski's, uh, this geology are uh, like his most probably pessimist films in a way, because it's so much built on this first uh, opening, but then closure that comes with 1989 that mm-hmm. this very bold and borders actually are quite there. Actually. It's not that kind of a unification story, happy ending, uh, like the event, uh, like in the, in the beginning. And the other one is like the more, uh, I think, uh, is a very, very different style. The film called cold war, which became a big event, the cold war, I think got some maybe reward awards. It is, uh, it also takes, it also describes the Cold War, you know, like story through the music. I, I, now I forgot the name of the, of, of the filmmaker, but it is uh, basically about uh, like the, um, a song, a folkloric uh, song found or discovered with this, you know, like Stalinist Poland also had that folklore and the peoplehood. So the entire construction of the peoplehood through folklore, of course, I'm, nothing really unique about the, you know, the, the, the Soviet state. Uh, but then this song travels with the people actually migrating from Poland to France, but then they cannot really operate with this type of a folkloric song, they then turn it into a kind of a sexy, jazzy kind of a song with the same rhythm as a way of getting, you know, uh, like belonging to the Parisian culture of jazz. So it becomes very, very famous. Then uh, uh, his lover also comes and follows up and they kind of orchestrate together, but then they're torn apart. It's a kind of a love, love story across the borders. And it's so much also about the music and what that how it translates these worlds from different parts of the Cold War, if you like this, I don't want to say Iron Curtain, but this kind of a Yalta or these this, this, this borders. Uh, and kind of a similar way, it is done. Like the, the same melody basically articulates different sort of uh, desires of belonging, but also like coming together, uh, which is also a kind of a you know not a happy ending. Uh, you mm. barely have happy ending in Polish films, and this is also like one of them. But it is made in a very kind of a, you know like a nice way, and exactly music works uh, mm. enables that relationship and struggling constantly with the borders, different kinds of borders, right? The material borders, Mm -hmm. symbolic borders. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, so these are like the things that come up to my mind, like the, in terms of citizenship and the state, you you talk about the state, but perhaps in a different way, cultural policy uh, and also belonging and how it is sort of uh, mediated and expressed in different forms. Um, So it seems to be like, there's a very exciting history of that. I think I can just mm. finish with that <laughs> comment.
1: Uh, uh, thank you. That was a, a, a very, um, very thought-provoking indeed. And as you were speaking, I was just taking notes there because I know I know Blue, but I, it's probably twenty years since I've seen it. But I will, uh, as you were describing it, I remembered it and and can can yeah. see its significance. So I'll return to that. Cold War, I haven't I, seen, but
3: hmm. as you again
1: as you were describing it, I uh, came to um uh i came Did to find the it.
4: film i mean it, it, though? Uh, w- were, were you able to identify the film i can also put it in the chat I, I can well. i'll i'll
1: i'll i'll get i'll get that um yeah okay. that, that, don't 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 worry um but, go, but heading going all the way back to the beginning of your of your um line of thought there uh with chopin chopin is the um He's the he's the opposite of Kerubini in this story, and in the sense that the, the, the um, I mean, first of all, that his kind of capture by the Polish state during the Cold War was relatively unproblematic, it, in the sense that uh, the West kind of accepted it, um, you know, w- without without uh, without much question for various, I suppose, quite sort of obvious reasons. And, not least Chopin's own self-identification you know the creation of his own mystique as as a pole even though musically speaking there was nothing polish about him despite his mazurkas and polonaises and everything there's nothing remotely polish about those okay um but it was it it was uncontested um and so he he provides an interest, and you know claimed um as um a, a kind of uh, Polish pre citizen, um, uh, as, as it were, in in a way that is relatively uncontested. A Polish sociologist friend of mine, just Left Mac, has written a very interesting article about this, which um, I've I've um, I've been thinking about for a good long time. Although not all of my Polish friends um, agree with it. I mean, what it I suppose, um, just to riff a, a little bit more on. Your ideas uh, here. I mean, something is, something happens. I think between the case of Chopin and the case of Cherubini, uh, which interests me. You know, which is the the kind of plausibility of the idea of the citizen composer, kind of bringing ideals and values and nations and the and and indeed Europe together. In music somehow kind of falls to pieces, it's no longer persuasive as a narrative, it no longer works as a narrative. So something interesting I think has happened between pre-1989 Poland um, and uh, early 21st century um, Italy. I suppose it also does just underline um, that for all of the unity and unification that European notions of citizenship are premised on and based on. The actual practice, you know, what all of these composer citizens dug up, reinterred, reburied, carted around Europe. What what this all shows is just how raw and still present, not only the divides of the Cold War, but of the Second World War um, as well, are, you know, the divides between democratic Europe and fascist Europe, to say nothing of the divides between um, between um, uh, Western Europe and, um, and communist Europe. So I think all of these Discussions and all of these composer symbols, um, I think, find themselves moved around this space and deployed in this space in in deeply interesting ways, which a sort of blanket notion of the European composer, you know, which one still hears musicologists referring to, you know, European composers and European music as though it is this this one thing, does no justice to at all. So uh, just to return your eloquent line of thought with uh, another slightly less eloquent one of my own, but that was that was very thought provoking. So thank you for that.
0: Any other- will check out those films. Questions or comments? No? No comments or Martin, anything you want to add or comment on?
1: Um, this is thank you very much for um, uh, for um, having me again and and for the last half hour everything that you have said has actually um, been very helpful very thought provoking has um, has given me a lot of ideas of things that I now want to engage in this text in a much more um, direct kind of a way so I'm thankful to you for that once again um, but was it she has provided me with inspiration <laughs> so I'd very much like to thank you for that and um, and hope that um it's not too long until this wretched pandemic is over and we can get out of our houses and um, once again have a civilized conversation over some some food
0: well I um don't think there any, I don't see any other questions, so we can actually wrap up. and um, as, as always, uh, it was wonderful to have you, Martin. and um, in our hectic days, it, it was it was a great opportunity to, to stop for a moment and, um, and think about music and citizenship mm-hmm. and think about these different scenes and historical cases and connections. And um, so I want to thank you again. And we are very much looking forward to read the book, and um, and also we're very much looking forward to your next visit to Boazici. Hopefully, a better Boazici. Um, and um, and before we close, I want to remind um, everyone about the upcoming sociological imaginations talks. So we have um, Elif Babul um, in May, um, uh, and uh, you can follow. Um, our twitter account uh for the dates and the the announcement will be made so we have Elif Babul coming up um and then in June we have Jihan Tual um who will be joining um sociological imaginations so these are the two upcoming ones and Martin we can also let you know about these things so maybe you can take a break and uh and join those conversations and um so i want to thank everyone for joining and um thank you again for martin um lovely to hear you again thank you